Welcome everyone to the CEO.Digital show. My name is Craig McCartney and I'll be your host that's going to guide you through an open exploration of technologies and trends straight from the C-suite. You'll hear insights will help you better deliver results for your company and its stakeholders. We'll be interviewing a range of C-suite executives, those that are creating technology to those that are implementing it to support their businesses. Find out more and stay up to date at ceo.digital. And don't forget to like and subscribe to the show wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Today's guest is Ashley Friedland. He is the CEO and founder of Guild. He is also the founder of eConsultancy, still uh, doing a little bit of work there. Ashley is one of the most influential and connected figures in digital and marketing. He is the author of two best-selling books on digital. He's a columnist, commentator, and blogger, and he speaks worldwide on community building and digital marketing trends. Ashley's also a investor, a serial entrepreneur, mentor, and speaker. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to the CEO.Digital show, Ashley. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while, but it's great to have you here. Thank you very much, Craig. Good to be here. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a little while since we started chatting on email. And the first thing that we do is obviously we get to know you, our guests, a little bit better. Can you give us just a, a quick overview of your career to date, taking you up into um, you know, your founding of Guild? Yes, I'll try and keep it short. But um, I did a, a languages degree, which qualifies you for nothing, uh, and then decided I wanted to be a TV producer for no particular reason. I thought it combined kind sort of creativity and business in a way that appealed. Worked for a, a TV production company for a bit, failed to get into the BBC and, and Granada and ver- ITN and various others. Then decided that actually what I needed to do is become an internet producer because this internet thing was becoming a thing. This was in the late 90s, previous millennium. And there was no such thing as an internet producer. And as far as I know, there is still no such job title as internet producer. A bit like a product manager, maybe, or project manager. But yeah, I went. I ended up working for one of the internet agencies in the dot-com boom and subsequent bust. It grew. I was the sort of second person in their internet team. And in a 30-person agency, it grew to 500 people within about a year. And then sort of imploded, went back down to about 90 a few years later. I went off and then wrote a book in the south of France about web, basically designing and building websites. That then I owned the domain name eConsultancy.com, which I bought a while back, thinking I would just sell the domain name and retire to a small island. But um, that didn't quite happen. But I did then the sort of support website to go with my book was hosted at eConsultancy. And then so that started to build this sort of database of digital marketing e-commerce people. And a few years later, I basically turned that into a business. So I got some angel funding from my two former bosses. And I was, it was me and my co-founder, Matt, who was this sort of engineering technical one. And that was the beginning of eConsultancy back in sort of 2002. Well, as a commercial business, it was it was launched in 1999, actually, and then grew that over the next kind of 10 years, sold it to Centaur and then, you know, still involved a little bit and then founded Guild, which kind of went live in 2020. I obviously I know e-consultancy quite well being in the marketing space. And then I think I was introduced to Guild when I was looking at this idea of trying to build you know, our own community here at uh, the agency I run. So tell us about Guild 
Um, tell us about the journey there. You know, what challenges are you are you solving, and what's the the app about? Yeah, well, I guess the sort of common thread in my career with, um, say, with e-consultancy started as a web-based community, and it was a, the old-fashioned bulletin board or a threaded sort of discussion forum, which um, social media sadly largely killed off, like LinkedIn and, and sort of Twitter and Facebook and things. It was very supportive, very useful, a good way to get access to information from other people who knew about whatever it was. That was all web-based. I guess the inspiration for Guild was the same about bringing people together in groups, networks, communities to share, exchange knowledge, contacts, make useful connections, find jobs, etc., particularly in a sort of professional context more really than B2C. But the big change that had happened, of course, was mobile. So, you know, when I did e-consultancy in the late 90s and even the early 2000s, it was really a very web-based experience. And then mobile started coming along. Initially, that was mobile web. But then I'd seen, when it was plenty obvious, that actually a lot of this activity was going into messaging apps, native messaging apps, you know, WhatsApp, mostly in the West and, you know, WeChat in China and Signal and Telegram and all sorts. So I sort of thought, but I had a sort of issues with sort of uh, WhatsApp, it both partly it's meta as it is now or Facebook ownership, who I deeply distrust and thinks generally toxic for society. But that's another conversation. But also just, you know, feature wise, when you join, you couldn't see the past. I didn't know who anyone is because I just saw mobile phone numbers. There's discussions weren't threaded. I could, there's no moderation. There's no access to the data, blah, blah, blah. So I sort of thought, well, I think the world's going into mobile and particularly into messaging apps. And, you know, there's, yes, there's public social media, but there's this more private, curated, quality controlled, sort of dark social, as they call it. But could we create a platform that was sort of mobile, simple, like a kind of messaging app, but didn't have any advertising, no dodgy use of data and, you know, had a different business model. So as a, Guild is a sort of freemium SaaS kind of model. So, and also had the kind of networking element to it, like LinkedIn. So in some ways, Guild is the sort of bastard love child of WhatsApp, LinkedIn, and Slack, really. So it's, <laughs> it's about conversations and networking, but it's sort of mobile first, message, mobile messaging app, really. But unlike e-consultancy was a media business, so we created content and it was for marketers, you know, learning about digital marketing, e-commerce, whereas Guild is a technology business. It's a platform and anyone can run networks and communities and groups on it. Ah, okay. I've only seen the marketing side of it. I think that's how I've joined. So I've, you know, I've joined the event marketing, digital marketing. I have to say it's very useful, but you can custom brand it and you can use it for your own communities, whatever company, whatever industry. Yeah, exactly. So the ones you're in are probably ones that we ourselves, Guild, host. And so we host a bunch of them partly as a way to experiment ourselves and eat our own dog food, as it were, um, and also as a way just to get people obviously into the platform. So and, and my heritage and contacts, particularly in the digital and marketing space, you know, is, is quite broad and large. So I thought, well, it'd be, you know, be useful to run our, a few of our own communities and groups. But we have... I think around 70,000 users, thousands of communities and groups. Our customers are the ones who kind of pay to use the platform. And they are, you know, professional membership organizations, media businesses, increasingly actually agencies, consultancies, tech businesses using it for thought leadership, you know, in closed or invite-only communities. So, yeah, there are many. It's interesting. You are very active in those groups, in the marketing groups, and it feels like, some of the success around the groups is down to someone like yourself getting involved, taking part in the discussion, sharing knowledge, facilitating. That's a key part to making these work. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right. 
yeah, I probably spend too much time doing it, but say just because I quite enjoy it. And and it was basically the same as what I did with e-consultancy. That's how it, it wasn't meant to be a business ever. It was like a hobby or a side hustle, as they'd call it now. And it turned into a business. But yeah, so I guess I just naturally like that kind of bringing people together and, you know, sharing problems and trying to help each other out. I'd specifically say what with this a more B2B professional kind of slant to it. So it's quite different from sort of consumer social media, for example. But you're right, it is I I kind of to me it feels quite natural and and not easy. But yeah, well, one of the things we've learned is that actually, irrespective of however good Guild might be as a, a technology platform, the role of the host moderator actually is really important and it is you know part art part you know skill and science or art and science and things but we do actually now I say the last six months or so we've we now also offer we call a community management service so we have the technology platform but for people as you say who go like I, I'm only starting out with this I don't really I need I need some more help and hand holding or support we do provide that as well as the as the sort of technology bit and then usually often we want you know someone wants they're up to speed or they kind of get it or whatever or they've got some dedicated resource then we don't need to provide that anymore and some people are just naturally very good at it actually but it's surprising you know edit we think editorial people will be good at it but in my experience they're actually not necessarily the best at it sales people commercial people could be good but then you worry are they going to be too salesy yep founders are often good because they're passionate they're you know senior they're often well connected probably quite opinionated and, and confident. Yeah, exactly. And, exactly. Know. I mean, it's a full-time job that, isn't it? Running a community like that can be. Actually, no. I, I mean, it's, I say that. It can if there are the world of community and roles around community management, community building, community marketing, uh, all sorts, community analytics and CRM. It feels a bit like digital was about 20 years ago, or, or maybe even social media. You remember the days when social media was a new thing and you put the like the intern or the marketing exec on it and go, do, go and do that social media thing. And people didn't really take it seriously. And then it obviously grew, it became more mainstream. There were whole teams, then the, how does that integrate with marketing and digital? And I think that's happening with community a bit as well. So there's all these new roles coming out. And so there are are full-time community roles and there are full-time teams but actually particularly guild is designed to be very simple you know and so it's basically about conversations and networking it's not about content management and event tech and e-courses and online learning and things so it's quite deliberately quite lightweight so i find you know when you get a community up and going maybe at the beginning you have to put a bit more work in but if you can get some sort of natural momentum where most of the content is coming from the members themselves usually questions and answer type stuff then in that like the communities you're in that i host i reckon i spend 10 minutes a day on average in each of those so actually it's not really it's not really that onerous yeah, it is fascinating. I think um, I'd, I'd looked into the platform myself. You know, you, everyone has these nice ideas of building communities, but I think until you find the right person to do it, a lot can be said for that. And I'm salesy, so I, I'm even very conscious of even posting in those communities because I'm like, I don't want to, you know, it's very, um, I need to probably get over myself, I think, and just go for it. But now, Ashley, you you do a lot of things. You are an investor, you're a speaker, a mentor. Can you tell us about any of those projects that you're working on? And I mean, how many hours do you have in your day? Because <laughs> it seems like you are quite busy. Yeah. yeah. Can you tell us anything about that? 
Well, uh, to be honest, I'm trying to do a bit less, and um, I'm not sure how, how well and necessarily I'm su- succeeding at that. But um, yeah, I, I kind of seem to uh, get sort of, uh, I'm not say dragged into. I do it willingly, obviously. But yes, I had, you know, luckily we sold e consultancy, so you know, had some money and some of that in, invested in other startups, really early stage startups. Typically, you know, in a B2B media tech marketing kind of space, just because they're ones I know well, or where I feel I can add a bit of value to it. And mostly actually in very early stage businesses where I, I kind of interested in the idea, but know the people as in the founders and sort of trust that they'll at least give it a good go. You know, a couple of the businesses I've invested in have failed. Some are going very well, some are in between, which I guess what you, you kind of expect. And various of things I do sort of un-mentoring or there's a founders for schools where you go and speak at a school to you know hopefully speak to school children about your career and I don't know hopefully um, inform or enthuse them about the world of work and alternate routes particularly as an entrepreneur that uh, they may not thought of so I'm sort of passionate about generally to say about sharing and learning and curious specifically around the world of work and I'm passionate about sort of children in or education in as much as they're our future essentially and I'm passionate about entrepreneurialism and people doing their own thing. And what role do you think technology plays in this the world? I mean you you say yourself you're not a technical person but how has tech um, or how has technology helped you grow these businesses and be a better entrepreneur? Well, I mean, it is pretty fundamental, I guess. I mean, obviously, the um, who is it? Was it Mark Andreessen said software is eating the world or whatever? You know, but to some degree, all businesses are technology businesses these days. And obviously, in the last you know twenty, thirty years, I've seen the shift in the power of technology, particularly you know in our pocket, in our mobile phones, is just you know transformational, and it's going to continue to be that way. So, it's not just businesses, but we as consumers interact digitally for communications for commerce for travel you know there's actually increasingly lots of things now you can't do it's quite frustrating like parking (laughs) these days you pretty much you can't park without an app of some sort you can't there's no person there to go and pay they're (laughs) going to be closing all the tickets you know it's all going digital and and some of that i don't think is a good thing by the way but always yes technology has in my view has been an enabler or has created opportunities so i look at it from a sort of business entrepreneur point of view rather than say i'm not a developer i have i've hacked a bit of sort of html and css and javascript in my past but um but no i have a sort of deep respect for people who properly know about technology so yes i th- obviously all digital transformation in the last decades and going forwards is super important and yeah, if you've got tech skills, then that's super valuable. Although I, I do I do worry a little bit sometimes, you know, with the emphasis on STEM schools, that there is a, that suggests that creative type opportunities are somehow less important, which I think would be a, a bad mistake because actually Britain in particular is famous for its creative industries and they're quite big. And I think it's dangerous to make everyone think they can be a Python programmer at Google or whatever. Because yeah. I it's just, you know, it's it's quite hard. And it takes a certain yeah, you can get so far. I just know I'd never would have been a great programmer, however hard I tried. So I think you do need to play a bit to your strengths and they don't necessarily have to be technical. That said, I think you do need to carefully curate and collect any technical friends that you have <laughs> because you almost certainly need them. Yeah. I, I mean, 
did that play quite a key role in e-consultancy? Because you said that your co-founder, you know, you, you sort of brought two different skill sets to the making or the growing of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. No, Matt. So Matthew O'Riordan is my uh, co-founder at eConsultancy and at Guild. I'm an investor in his business, Ably, which he's the CEO of and co-founder. So yeah, we've had a long business sort of partnership and we're both very, I think, entrepreneurial and commercial. But, you know, he's a genius developer, programmer, technical, CTO, architect person, you know, and I'm not. And so I would I was more the marketing content community sort of side of things. So, yes, we had a common, I think, you know, mindset or values or philosophy or approach things, which I think is important. And, you know, and having trust and respect in each other, I think is important, but had complementary things. So I basically, you know, went to him and said, look, I've got this idea for e-consultancy, but it's I need you to basically build the website for free, well, you know, for <laughs> equity, sweat equity, really, because yeah. at the time, you know, by getting a CMS or something was about you know half a million quid or something crazy. And these days with the no code, low code, it would be easier. But still, uh, you still need a sort of having a technical co-founder or partner in any kind of tech business is pretty critical, really. So you say Matthew's also involved with Guild then from that side of things? Yeah, he's our sort of, um, I want to say fractional CTO or whatever. I mean, he's he's basically full-time busy, obviously, building his own very successful business, Ably, which is a is a real-time infrastructure kind of business. And we actually use Ably as part of the, our tech stack within Guild for doing the real-time messaging. So, um, but yeah, so he advises on what, all the hard technical stuff, you know, which tends to be, you know, scalability, infrastructure, architecture, choice of programming, but, but not day-to-day kind of operationally. We have a, a dev team based in Poland, actually, for that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think some entrepreneurs, if they don't have those friends or that, that circle where they can lean on people with technical skills and they have these wonderful ideas for apps or some, you know, technology they don't know where to start. It's happened to me once or twice. And I guess you, you either need funding or a good friend who can assist you along the way. So, mm. uh, yeah, that's great. And then, you know, looking at the future, so Guild's the focus right now, but ha- are there any other exciting projects coming down the pipe that, that you can uh, share? Or is it all just Guild at the moment? <laughs> yeah, as I say, I, I've been kind of trying to not take on new things and stuff so really yes i kind of want to be fully focused on guild i still have some commitments with e-consultancy although i'm sort of fairly ambassadorial these days but i still love you know i mean the world of digital and or marketing is still changing and so still exciting and you know being having a toe still in with e-consultancy is great because it gives me access to that, you know, content, the data. I still host a thing called uh, the e-consultancy digital advisory board, which is about 60 CMOs or chief digital officers of FTSE 250 type companies. And we meet four times a year and we use not surprisingly guild in between that (laughs) to, uh, as a sort of a way to ask each other questions and help out. So that's great because I, you know, get access to these very senior people of these big companies, client side, but also still do bits, you know, eConsulting has big sort of partners, sponsory type partners, the Adobe's and Salesforce's and Oracle's and Google's and Facebook's of this world. So being plugged into that world is still, I find really interesting and exciting and, and you know, and, it, and is a useful network as well. Yeah, it must be. So Guild was founded about four years ago. Obviously, that was pre-COVID. How did that 
change or impact the business? Did it did it help it? Did anything you can share around that? And then obviously post COVID, how's it how's it all looking? Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, so we went. We were in sort of private beta mode in 2019, and then it was sort of publicly available 2020. And then obviously we went into the first lockdown in March 2020. So pretty much straight away. And I guess it was a sort of double-edged sword for us. So the good thing was that the world obviously was forced to communicate digitally. And so as a platform, which was about enabling, you know, digital conversations and connections, that was great, you know, in some some ways, sort of great timing. But in practice, what happened, particularly for actually pretty much all companies is as we went into that first lockdown, everyone was like panic mode. I mean, it was like, and, and they were just sorting out how do we work remotely? Like, I mean, that's, and for larger organizations, actually, they moved, I think they surprised themselves how quickly they moved. And even Centaur, which owns e-consultancy, it's not huge, but it's, I don't know, 800 people, 600, it's, it's big-ish. So all of the time and energy and focus for most businesses was just getting up and running digitally, you know, working from home and all that kind of stuff. And even then, after that, it was like people's business models were fundamentally changed or shifted mostly. So even with e-consultancy, you know, we did face-to-face training, face-to-face events, all of those had to pivot to, you know, virtual. So most businesses, all of 2020 at least was a write-off because they were just sorting out the basics of just how do we continue to operate really so when you're going in particularly as a startup going oh we've got this great new thing and it's digital and it's community people go yeah 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 but we're kind of busy sorting out you know putting out fires we're not back to the old ways basically there is a new normal things have fundamentally changed i guess really it's good for us in as much as the obviously the world has digitally transformed or digitally shifted had to even quicker than it was doing and so digital remote working you know is here to stay virtual events are here to stay so these digital ways of forming connections or doing marketing or business development are more digital and so you know guild benefits from that really and i think more strategically as well the idea of community is making a bit of a comeback. You know, it was, you remember the three C's of the dot-com boom in the late 90s was content, commerce, and community. So it's not new. And actually the internet after its defense incarnation was, you know, academics or people swapping in information over the internet. It basically was always about community really of some sort and connections and information exchange. But then we had the whole you know, commerce phase and then, you know, and web two and public social media. But now I think this idea of, and that still exists, obviously, but have creating, say, more private, controlled, moderated, branded spaces online for building these connections is something on, on most people's radar. I mean, particularly, say, membership organizations, media businesses, technology businesses, but all, lots of businesses now are starting to talk again about community in a way that it suggests that it's a new thing, but it isn't, obviously. Just like humans have always been tribal, really. But so it's nothing new, but it feels like it's a new wave kind of thing. Yeah. And what advice would you have for marketers looking to build a community or looking to grow a community or or just use a community for a, a, a common purpose or common good? For starters, I guess you'd say that People in community historically have not liked the idea of marketing, like the idea that communities, any kind of marketing or God forbid sales is like slightly uncomfortable to them because it's sort of, 
but i think that's misunderstanding marketing or even sales like so if you do it badly it's the way that it's executed so obviously if you set up a group and you invite a load of prospects in and sell at them that's a miserable experience and it's not going to work but the idea that you know if marketing should be about understanding obviously the market the conversations you have in the community show you give you insights into what people think and want and need it gives you insights into what language they use it's like a free focus group or market research thing but it also if you're showcasing your expertise or doing a good job it's good for lead generation you know sort of awareness lead nurturing and indeed lead generation and we see this in lots of i mean not just on gill but in lots of these sort of communities if it's done well you create a a a stronger emotional connection with your prospects or your industry peers and and colleagues and things and it has got obviously with the, the pandemic created this sense of sort of alienation and distancing and stuff and so there is this human need for some sort of connectional sense of belonging but also i think that the a lot of in in digital marketing because everyone had to sort of move to that and virtual events and things there's a lot of noise there you know so getting cut through on like public social media now is and getting organic reach has just got so hard and it also all the it gets costly because everyone's piling into it and so it's auction based things it gets more expensive you know linkedin i get about 20 emails a day from real estate agents and stuff it's just it's just got noisy you know and so how do you cut through as, as a marketer or as a salesperson commercial with these and and I think community is part of that answer but it's not like a quick fix thing so you have to you know you're building trust essentially and so that and that takes some time to nurture that but what you what you get if you do it well is this sort of reservoir of goodwill and attention and connection which means when you ask for something or when they have a need you know when they become in buying mode they think okay well i'm going to speak to craig because he seems to know what he's talking about <laughs> at the first port of call so that you know i think there's all sorts of value there and say even in the conversations themselves and the insights you get into kind of and i used to do this at e consultancy often via events like round table events but a lot of our events where we have the people talking about you know okay so what are your pains or challenges what do you think of the trends and stuff that was our main source of insight for for our editorial program or our event programming so you kind of you listen in on what people's actual pain points are and you use that to drive your sales marketing uh, editorial events everything really just from those in person exchanges you've got those little nuggets that yeah then drive it's very interesting and it feels like that community angle is potentially would replace the things like email and then the linkedin emails and messages and it feels like if you can do it well enough that could be the way that you you know you like you say you sell without selling uh, as long as you can build trust and and make it useful make it relevant and make it interesting yeah i mean i, I sort of think of it as um, if you think of it as a sort of funnel if you're sort of marketing and sort of sales point of view you've got your sort of awareness sort of generation at the top maybe and public social media and in a b2b content or professional that might be something like linkedin but you've got twitter and facebook and things that's still important for kind of reach for awareness for discovery you know visibility and things like that but then i think beneath that uh, you might have account based marketing for example if you're talking about b2b and about sort of advertising and marketing so abm 
But beneath that, you might say we talk about community-based marketing, CBM, to come up with another acronym. But it's a slightly more, again, quality-controlled, curated, filtered version. So essentially slightly further down the marketing or sales funnel. And those are more intimate, more personal connections. You know, a lot of the communities we have on Guild are in the hundreds. They're not in the ten thousands or hundreds of thousands, which a lot of mid LinkedIn groups are. And they just become totally impersonal, noisy. There's a part to play. We're still going to have email. We're still going to have public, you know, social media. But these these sort of more uh, sort of private communities are a little bit further down the kind of intimacy levels and 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 the sales and marketing funnel. And is Guild ever going to go in person? Are you guys got plans for bringing these communities together for this sort of human interaction in real life? Well, I mean, I, I absolutely believe in in person. And I still think actually the best way to form real sort of bonds and sort of trust and transparency is still in person. But we try very hard to kind of also create that sort of human sense of connection in Guild, which is quite hard when you've got a tiny little screen to work on. But there are lots of little things we do to try and make it not a tech experience, but like a human experience. So we, I mean, we ran earlier in the year in May, the Guild Community Summit, which was like a one day conference all about best practice and community. And we have a couple of communities on Guild, which we run for community managers, all a bit meta, but we have the Guild Community Collective and we have professional community leaders. So they are just, we discuss all the time with other people in community about best practice, you know, tips and tricks and just helping each other out. So that event was kind of for them, but anyone could have attended. So for our customers and groups, we always recommend to say, look, if you can meet in person, then do, because it creates... You see like a, the conversations, they kind of warm up, you know, like and you can create a new momentum or new energy in an online community when there has been an offline in-person event. Because you go, oh, hi, Sir, Craig, I saw you at the event and, you know, well, let's follow up and or they, you meet at the event. And then, you know, a big part of with, with Guild we talk about is continuing the conversations and networking between events. So historically events, the trouble is they were quite spiky. You know, you'd get excited, go to the event and that's it, gone. Whereas what we're trying to do is create that kind of glue that kind of connects those experiences between them. And that's not just, I mean, this is for virtual events as well. And in Guild, we do have a video room feature for all the groups, so which is like Zoom or Google Meet or Teams or something. So we do have events of sorts, or at least meetups, really more social meetups and video chats within Guild itself. But in-person events are still very powerful, I think, for um, for creating that sort of community cohesion and the bonding yeah i totally agree i i struggle talking to people online and until i've met them once i've met them they seem to get my sort of sense of humor or my personality a bit better and then i can you know open up a bit more so i think very important have you been to any good events lately any good virtual events or any good uh, in-person events that you thought wow that was that was pretty cool well, obviously, our Guild Community Summit was good. It was actually very good. <laughs> we, were pleasant, we were at, pleasantly surprised because um, it was, well, we decided to do it only in person for starters. So there's there's big sort of debates in the event industry at the moment about whether you do pure in-person, pure online, hybrid, where you're trying to do both at the same time. I actually think it's really hard to do hybrid well. You kind of end, risk ending up with the worst of both worlds or as the event organizer, it's actually very expensive and quite hard to do well because the digital experience 
if you were optimizing for that would probably be different and the in-person one would also be different and and just live streaming a someone speaking on a stage is not that great I mean, I personally, I found the virtual ones, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to do more in-person stuff and actually in-person meetings even, which is a crazy thought. But um, I think digital is definitely more efficient and more productive, you know, use of time because you don't have the travel and stuff. But in-person is more fun, I find. And also, I don't know, because of, there's a because of the commitment you've made or that kind of different nature of connection, it's it's sort of... I don't know if we've done any research yet, but the, but the whether the sales effectiveness or customer retention effectiveness or cross-sell, upselling, whatever, like if you're an agency, whether there is, if you make the effort to meet in person, does that yield better results than relying only on digital? I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if it was the case that if you do actually meet in person, you find out things or you get business that you might not have got if you only did it digitally. I don't know. I'm just slightly guessing. But so, no, I'm I'm sort of, I find it hard now with a virtual event to do more than about 40 minutes. Like the thought of spending an entire day sitting at the screen. And the trouble is I do get, dis- you get distracted, don't you? Because you think, oh, I can just open that other tab and check my emails <laughs> or, oh, my phone's just pinged and tinged and I'll just do that or I'll go and get a cup of coffee and then, you know, get, so it's, it's hard, you know, and so as an event organizer to keep that attention, it's hard. But I don't think anyone thinks that, you know, the world's going back to as it was in terms of offline events. It's a lot harder as well yeah. to get people there. You know, there's a lot more reasons to say no now to meeting in person. Yes, exactly. And some of those even not just the um, you know, ability to digitally, but the environmental sustainability reasons as well, you know, so trying not to travel so much and jump on a plane and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, people talk about Zoom fatigue, but they clearly haven't gone from San Francisco to London to Paris within one week uh, attending multiple <laughs> events. Yeah, yeah that, that's very interesting. I think, have you seen the hybrid model work at all at the moment or any good examples of it? I mean, nothing comes to mind. I'm sure there must be examples, but I say I think it's 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 hard to do really well where the the digital attendance people think that was a great best in class digital experience, and the in person people think that was a best in class in person experience. I mean, I think there are in one of our uh, groups on Gill, it's called Creo, which is, is stood for Coronavirus Response for Event Organizers, which we set up back you know, oh, in yeah. 2020. I, th- I think I'm a member of that Okay, one. yeah, so <laughs> event, event organizers talking about a lot of stuff. But one of the things that I quite like, um, there's a chap, Ian, is in there, and he talks about online events, as in pure online events. They should think of them as in-person events that just happen to be online. So the, the point being that the nature of the experience should be still very kind of peopley. It's just done in a in a sort of digital environment. And I think there is a, you know, there's a definite skill set to not just organizing as, as an event organizer, how do you choreograph and, and deliver a great virtual event experience? But even as a host, like the MC or whatever, you know, the person that stands up at the on the stage in the physical environment, doing that in a digital world is is like a different skill set. I mean, not least it's like, you know, an actor, like you're if you're acting for the stage versus film, it's an entirely different thing you do. And so what we haven't and I've done quite a lot of that bit of standing on a stage or hosting a physical event. But a virtual event, like, oh, how does this kind of work? And and there's a whole different dynamic there. And, you know, and so 
I talked about this term. I called it a, a, a ZJ, which is like a Zoom jockey. So like a D, <laughs> like a DJ, but for Zoom. And so yeah, there is a some people who are good hosts on Zoom, even or something. That is a skill set, and that's not something that most of us yet have kind of learned how to do well. I think we have a couple of people. There's the guy uh, Leo um, Gimple, who's in one of our groups. So I think does this really well. You know, when you see him kind of running a virtual event, you're like, oh, this is really good and engaging, but this is some quite subtle skills that you've got or like it's like you know presentation techniques and stuff but so running at a virtual event as a host is is a is a skill set i still think we're learning yeah well i hope i've learned a little bit about that we've done about 200 events a year on average in zoom so um yeah it's uh it's been an experience of notes but yeah, it's, it's really great to chat to you about all this and just to get uh, another perspective. So thank you so much, Ashley. What what I'd like to do is just end on a bit more of a fun, lighthearted round just to get to know you a little bit better. Obviously, we got to know a little bit about you there, but just, again, just a little human touch, I think, is needed. So the first question I normally ask in, in this round is what's your favorite guilty technology pleasure? I think I can safely say uh, it sounds like Guild is your technology pleasure, but is there anything else that that you love with regards to technology that perhaps you, you don't want to tell anyone about? <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to say, actually, that the because I spend my day in, in sort of tech or Guild and stuff, that my guilty pleasures tend to be deliberately not technology. I love sort of nature and being outside and things, but I, I suppose my sort of guilty pleasure would be my git i play guitar quite badly but um <laughs> and i have just started restarted guitar lessons and so oh, nice. my um my sort of treat to myself or the thing that i could spend unnecessary amounts of money on would probably be guitar related rather than technology per se <laughs> great and um then in terms of how would your friends describe what you did versus how your family what do they think you you get up to for your job Oh, I don't know. Um, I think, well, my brother also works in, he runs a digital marketing agency. So Joe, okay, so he, so he, he knows. knows, he knows very well what I get up to. My younger brother, probably my mother, bless her, probably not so much. I, I, God only knows what she would describe as what I do. I wonder now whether, do I describe myself as a, as an entrepreneur or not? I somehow feel that I, that's a kind of weird thing to say, or even a serial entrepreneur, given I've now done two businesses and things. Because I, I find it sort of sound strangely uncomfortable to say that I work in technology, even though I kind of do. And I used to work in, it be, feels better to say I work in media and marketing. That still seems a bit more glamorous than, uh, than technology. And technology is so broad and vague and things, or people would assume then maybe I was a developer. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure then yeah, what, what other people would say. Yeah, it depends really who they were. Fair enough. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question because my friends still ask me what I do to this day, even though I tell them every time I see them. But um, yeah. I always like to <laughs> check, you know, with people. So, you know, this is quite a common one and always interesting for me because, you know, I'm always looking for some new content. But have you got any good book recommendations or have you read anything good or heard a good podcast lately? Yes, well, my my used to be my favorite book thing. I used was um, the Master and Margarita by Bulgakov. But my I think now the I've I've always liked John Le Carre, and I reread um, the Spy Who Came In from the Cold recently. And I think that's now off the top of my head. Now that's my favorite book. It's quite <laughs> short, and it's you know sort of set in. I lived in Germany for a bit and speak German or used to speak German well. So it's kind of got some just sort of maybe personal resonance as well. 
the podcast things i listened to uh, one um called uh, brian and roger which is a comedy basically about two blokes and it's done in the way where it's it's voice messages on the phone basically <laughs> yeah one of them is a really nice guy and the other <laughs> really not at all so yes i i did um when I, I dabbled in comedy when i was at university and even afterwards performing comedy that is okay yeah i'm just sort of interested in in comedy generally and so yeah the brian and roger i can't remember the brian and roger show it's just called brian and roger is one that i like Okay. Wow, stand up comedy. That's uh, that takes some guts. Did you did you give a good go at it when you when you did it? Well, we did. Yeah, almost we tried. I mean, we there were sometimes <laughs> where um yeah, as we said there were, we were a stand up double act of which I can't think of any other examples and there's probably a reason for that. <laughs> um but we did fairly sketchy kind of stuff. So uh, it was a bit more like Eddie Izzard if you know any kind of comedians rather than sort of telling jokes. But we okay. did um yeah, we got paid sometimes before. A couple of times, I remember in we were not really so good in pubs. We had a thing where we, if we if we were really dying a death, then we turn the mics off and pretend they'd stopped working. And we did have <laughs> to do that, I think, twice. But we got to form perform on live television on, uh, in fact, on a a sort of a dodgy channel subscription channel called Live TV, which no longer exists, which wow. is famous for the News Bunny, uh, the Bunny, which tells you quite a lot in their news kind of programs. <laughs> and we were on just before the News Bunny, wow. and we wrote, we got paid to write for Russ Abbott, weirdly, who say not at all our kind of style of comedy, and one other show. So we had a brief. A very brief flirtation with thinking, can this, could we do this professionally? This was me and another, a different Matt, but who was my comedy partner. And indeed, we, we formed a band. That's why I started <laughs> playing guitar. He's the drummer as well. So, um, so yes. Wow. You've certainly been up to a lot uh, <laughs> over the years. Well, yeah, that's, that was really great. Thank you so much, Ash. It's been a pleasure getting to, to hear from you, to get into learn more about you and, and just get your insights into uh, you know, these important things. So thank you so much for spending your time with us. Not at all. Thanks, Craig. And yeah, if you liked that, then please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to check out uh, the rest of uh, the wonderful guest list that we are promoting. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs>